Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome to Focus Today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson, and always delighted and honored when we have a chance to sit down and talk with Wallace Henley, former pastor, daily newspaper editor, worked in the White House, and a congressional aide. He served as uh, 18 years as the teaching pastor at Houston Second Baptist Church. Uh, he's the author of so many books, over 25, and his latest book is a must-read, and that is uh, "Who Will Control? Who Will Rule the Coming Gods: The Looming Spiritual Crises of Artificial Intelligence." And there's a uh, picture of the cover of the book on the screen there. Given the fact that AI is getting so much attention. I think what Wallace has done here is really a great service to all of us in writing this book. So I would certainly encourage you to check it out at the bookstores or online, Who Will Rule the Coming Gods and the Looming Spiritual Crises of Artificial Intelligence. Wallace, good to see you, buddy. How are you? It's a joy to be with you. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, someday you ought to sit down and just write a book about yourself. <laughs> My wife has already done that. Really? Well, you know, your life experiences. I want to talk about today is the 79th anniversary of D-Day and how many generations perhaps have no idea the significance of this day. You've been there several times. Share with us your thoughts. I, th I think that that's uh, almost like holy ground. It was a time when the Lord really became manifest in so many ways in helping to defeat one of the most wicked uh, power holders in all of history, Adolf Hitler. And so I think that uh, the way it was done, all of those things, you can't walk away from there without being somewhat transformed. <clears throat> I've had five journeys there, and sometimes I've taken old uh, veterans with me. My wife has been with me always. And I think probably the most thrilling of those trips was when we took one of our granddaughters. We have six granddaughters. One of them decided to become a Marine. And she's a Marine sergeant, and some years ago, uh, she's a mom now with four kids, but some years ago, she was able to go with us uh, to Normandy, and it happened to be July the 4th. And I'll just remember how wonderful it was to be able to go down on those beaches with her and walk across as she thought about uh, the sacrifice of the people she was now part of as, as a United States Marine and in, in the military. I've also learned tremendous amount of spiritual lessons about it. Uh, it's been very instructive. When Irene and I went the first time, it was 1994. So it was one year before, or I'm sorry, 19, yeah, no, that's right. So it was one year after the 50th anniversary celebration of 44. And therefore, all the, uh, all the decorations and everything was still up. And as we rode through the villages on that, on that day, we saw the signs that had been put up a year before to welcome the old soldiers back for the 50th anniversary. And those signs had the wording, all of them had the wording on them, thank you to our liberator. Thank you to our liberator. Wow. And that made me think about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's parabolic. It's a beautiful story. Why have you gone there so many times? I keep being drawn back there. The first time we went, as I said, was 1994. And um, the uh, you, you pull into the big parking area uh, at Omaha Beach, and there's a, there's a major piece of uh, artwork that blocks you from seeing what's on the other side. And, and you, you pull in the parking lot, 
You don't think too much about it. And then all of a sudden you walk around to the edge of this big concrete monolith that has blocked your vision. And you're looking at 9,000 graves, white crosses, stars of David mingled with, among them. And you suddenly realize, I, I began to weep the first time because you begin to realize the immense price of liberty. And you know what? I thought it, I, it made me think about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for us and all humanity. And uh, I, since then, I've derived a lot of spiritual lessons from it that have blessed me tremendously. Do you think, Wallace, given the dynamics of our culture in America today, that that kind of fortitude to defend liberty still exists? I think among some parts of the military, that certainly does. I think in terms of the nation, uh, the price that has to be paid for that, there's still a lot of question about whether or not our nation would be willing to endure what it took to carry out this exercise at, at Normandy, but also the whole of the Second World War, which was an evil, demonic thing. In every generation, there has risen up some ruler, some leader, who is determined to eliminate the Jewish race. And Hitler happened to be that, that person uh, in the World War II era. There's just a passion because of the fact that the Messiah has come to us through Israel. And there's such a passion on the part of the demonic to destroy every remnant of Israel that is possible. And so the question is much broader. Do we have the willingness to stand the, 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 the to walk the path of helping to protect and, and, and protect civilization, really, uh, in the midst of this time. While they're thanking our troops for liberating them, um, do you think we have forgotten what we did for them, and yet we're not understanding that we may need it for ourselves? I think you're exactly right. I think people don't want to face the reality of, of the possibility, the potentials. Uh, every, every time my wife and I go overseas, uh, based, based on the time I spend in the White House, I, I do a lot of thinking about the, the foreign situation. Uh, how safe is it going to be to get over there to wherever we're going? Uh, will we be, be able to get back? All these kinds of things go through my mind. And so I'm, I'm overly cautious when I travel abroad of uh, thinking about those things. And, and I'm not sure that our culture is informed enough. Our, our culture is not informed in an objective sense about what's going on. There's always a lot of bias on how evil we Americans are and all kinds of things. And because of that naivete, and I would say even that, that intentional naivete about the nature of the world and, of, and the nature of, of, of the United States, why God raised up the United States, that that's missing from any kind of education that people take. So you have to get something uh, uh, like one of my 25 books, or, or many other people have written, uh, e even some secularists uh, have written. And so I think uh, we're not prepared for the cost that it would that it would bring to defend freedom uh, in that kind of theater. Back to you drawing parallels from liberating there um, to the spiritual liberation that we have in Christ. Um, I'm wondering if we... I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. If we understand or have the fortitude to give ourselves for spiritual freedom. We would have to, <coughs> excuse me, let me take a water. Mm. This is vinegar water, by the way. I'm a tough <laughs> Damn it. 
we have to have a change of worldview. And that worldview has to be established uh, out of the vision. Vision leads to worldview. And the worldview is, is built around values. And the kind of values that are being formed in our nation post-World War II, post-Vietnam, uh, post all of these areas, the, the kind of worldview and values that has been invested in our nation is not what it was in the 40s. I was born in, in 1941, and there was a lot of things wrong in that era. There's no, there's no question about it. Uh, certainly, we needed the civil rights revolution. We needed it desperately uh, because it was there was a tremendously racist uh, uh, mentality uh, in the world at that time. But we've got to we've got to get focused back on the vision for America's existence. Why do we exist? Why did God raise up this nation? And how does that fit into his eschatological plan? All of these things are very, very important. We've got to get back to that at some level of education. And I'm not optimistic. Okay, uh, and I get that, I, I truly do, because we're living in a time where everything that we would consider valuable has been turned upside down. Morality's been turned upside down. Uh, legal's been turned upside down, justice has been turned upside down, and anything sacred has been turned upside down. And this is a, clearly an offense against our faith, and I'm just wondering, are we really willing to sacrifice to see it reversed? You know, I think if there was a clear understanding on the part of a remnant within the culture, and that remnant exists and is very small, but if there was a broadening of that remnant people who have some sense of history, and some sense of why God would raise up a nation so singularly blessed as we understood America to be. We can't teach that in the schools now, at least in the public schools. We can't teach that now. And I'm so grateful that uh, my, my great-grandchildren are being educated in a home environment as well as a, a Christian school environment, because they will get some sense of it. But, but the formation of our worldview, our values, all of the things that we look to don't lend very much to helping us get that kind of courage and that kind of bravery. We really can't, and I say this, you know, not to be negative, but can we really expect a revival of morality and decency if, in fact, we don't understand the price that was paid for our salvation? Exactly. Uh, when, when, you, when you go to Normandy, I was thinking about it this morning. When you go to Normandy and you think about those graves and then you go to other cemeteries in that region and tens of thousands of, of people died, gave their blood for that. All of it, all of it, in my mind, comes down to the Christ as an illustration. I'm not saying that, that they were all perfect people like Jesus was on the cross, but what I'm saying is that there was a massive uh, understanding that freedom is costly and that this nation has been a blessing to the world and, and was intended by God to be a blessing to the world. And that worldview has to be recovered. It can't be recovered in public education as it is now. I want to come back to that day because uh, we're now basically at the end of that generation being totally gone. And um, <clears throat> few can relate back to us what really happened on that day and the miracles that took place. If you, if you look at the big picture of D-Day, it was miraculous, don't you think? There were many, many miracles. And I've listed some. Others who've written about this have listed some of them. The weather, the way the weather turned out, for example, the way the surprise was able to be executed. Of course, there were many, many issues, like, like the crashing 
of many of those guiders, that gliders that uh, were carrying ground troops, and, and many perished in, in that process. So the, the thing, the, there were things that went wrong, but somehow it all played into one vast uh, symphonic scheme, if you will, of of where where the whole was manifested, and 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 this this uh, presented the opportunity for the defeat of Hitler, who was holed up, of course, down in Berlin. As those as those invasions were taking place up in Normandy, um, you wrote about this in the Christian Post. What do you want us to take away? I want you to see. I want my readers to see the parallels, the way Normandy illustrates the wider warfare that <clears throat> that is going on, the spiritual warfare that is going on. For example, I think about those those Jewish. People who were who were who were trapped in those concentration camps uh, across Europe, they did not know, they did not know that their that their deliverer had come. The moment the first Allied troop put his, uh, his his boot in the sand of Normandy, at that moment the invasion had begun, and their liberation was at hand. It would take months to get down there to where they were. But, but their liberator had come. That was the good news. And, and so the good news, especially as I looked at the uh, viewpoint of the French people uh, in 1994 who were still alive and lived through it, who would want to put on the roof of their home or paint on the side of their buildings, the liberator, your liberator has come. Your freedom has come. Thank you for liberating us. Thank you for setting us free. That was the that was the joy that was in them. That was the awareness. Oh, I want to see an awareness across the land of what Jesus paid for us, because the moment the moment the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary and began to take form as a human being, also fully God, fully man. At that moment, it was over for Satan. It was over for Satan, just as it was over for Hitler. But the battle has to go on. Because it's an incremental battle. We have to, just as the soldiers had to go from city to city, town to town, uh, village to village, region to region, they had to carry that victory that was won at Normandy. They had to carry it forward until they got to Berlin itself. That's what we're doing now. We're in that period when we're in the, in the battle trenches, if you will, for the sake of the gospel. And we, we have to keep, the, the victory has come, but we must not be uh, flipping about it. The victory has come, but the battle still has to be taken to every place where people are imprisoned in the powers of Satan. Gosh, that is beautiful. What a parallel. Thank you. That is beautiful. Thank you. Let me take a quick break. Uh, so honored to have with us Wallace Henley. Check out his latest book, uh, Who Will Rule the Coming Gods? It's about AI. It's a fascinating read and I think a very informative read. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Wallace Henley's with us. You know, Wallace, I'm, <laughs> uh, 
I'm just, my brain's on tilt from your last statement. It, it's so beautiful, the parallel that you have drawn for us, uh, what happened at Normandy and the process that we're in today of walking out and liberating people. Just beautiful. Let me say to our viewers and listeners, Wallace also writes for the Christian Post, and he did so about D-Day. Uh, you can go to the Christian Post and look at that. I want to turn your attention to a caution. <clears throat> there's no doubt we're in trouble in America. Um, there's a lot of ways to point fingers. Um, I wrestle with uh, blaming the church for all of it. <laughs> At the same time, where the church could be the problem, it's also the solution. And yet we're watching morality upside down, decency is gone, anything that's sacred is being destroyed. And we're looking for a leader to help us get out of this. How do we protect ourselves from some kind of a messianic complex thinking that one person's going to do it while at the same time holding in place our spiritual values? I think that those values, those values must be evident in the way we relate to, quote, the warfare in the world. We must not. We must not war as the world wars. Uh, we must war, uh, uh, understanding that that our enemy is not flesh and blood. We're we're not one of those militant religions that wants to kill everybody. This is not who we are. That that's not who the Normandy people were. That's not who the liberators of the slaves in the South in America were. Uh, it, it's 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 an understanding that there is a that there is a spiritual enemy. And the spiritual enemy has the world, has nations and cultures uh, entrapped. And so what our mission it must be is to give the light that, that shines the light on the ugliness so that there can be a complete repentance. And so if we're going to put somebody in office who will simply open the doors wider for the powers of darkness, we have to be very cautious about this. Uh, I, I wrote also last week about Henry Kissinger, who turned 100 uh, last week or week before last. And he's still alive, and he's still thinking about peace in the world and all kinds of things. And there was a there was a crazy moment in his life. I don't know whether he was an atheist or what he was, but as 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 the Watergate intensified, he and Nixon uh, drew closer. And, and it was interesting because I think initially uh, Kissinger had contempt for Nixon, but there was a moment that was incredible when when Henry Kissinger uh, when when Nixon came back and reported to Henry that he had that he had turned in his resignation to the nation. The history books tell us that, that Kissinger began to weep, and 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 he began to weep, and and so did Nixon, and then Nixon took him by the shoulder and knelt down, uh, and they prayed together. Here's here's this this guy that the people that people say was a, uh, a political crook. Here's this guy that people say was a liberal Jewish man, and here they are in the White House on their knees praying. We we've got to get a vision. That that's where we have to go ultimately is to our knees, and every person who's running for office now must give some evidence that they understand the larger issues before Christians can truly support them. If we really want these people to advance a Judeo-Christian worldview, which is the worldview that uh, upon which this nation was founded, if we really want that, then we've got to show the expectancy of that when we talk to our candidates, and we've got to make them understand that we have a viewpoint that reaches beyond mere documents. We have a viewpoint that comes from the Word of God itself and the concerns for the advance of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
that kingdom, that kingdom in the world. That's what we seek to advance, and we must do it as Jesus did it. So I've written a book about the Jesus Church, building the Jesus Church. Everything that Jesus touched was transformed. The call today is for the church to find its way back to the ministry of Jesus and recognize that it's the remnant in every community, and it's also the remnant within the political process. Um, Because the Scripture is clear that uh, we... Uh, in, in the end days, that there would be a, an antichrist. Also, that term is plural. Uh, but the, the point being is that there would be a world leader that supposedly would be the solution to all the problems. Um, we have the foundation of that mentality in front of us. How do we protect ourselves here? Well, we need, we need to understand as Christians how time works. And if we understand that, it will revolutionize our thinking as people of the book, people who want to walk according to the Word of God. Time works at two levels. If you think about the arrow of time, it's a, it's a horizontal um, uh, form that moves across like that. But there's also chirotic time, chirological time. Kairos is a word in the Greek New Testament that refers to the, the content of time, especially the opportune moment. All of us have kairos moments in our lives where God has changed our direction or, or, or suddenly introduced something new into the flow of our lives. Think about it this way. Let me change the metaphor. Think about it as a railroad track. This, this horizontal chronos, which is finite time, chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, which is finite time, the moment we're having right now, is a collection of, of intervals, a collection of events, if you will. But these, this collection of events enlarges to a complete and total um, uh, presence and, and, and a type of time that is the intervention of the kingdom of heaven itself on the, on the level of human time. So think about, think about uh, finite time as the train on the track. Think about chirological time as a time form that brings the content of that train by the will of God, the purpose of God. Notice that there is both a linear direction on the chronos scale, but there is a there is a cyclical on the on the chirological scale. Mm. So time is not purely uh, uh, time uh, finite. It's not purely on that level, but it's also a combination. So I, I call it. You, you think about the train. The the wheel on the on the train is going this way. This is the cyclical movements, and every every person who's listening to this interview today could probably go back through their lives and find out those times. Just think about when God stepped in into that. They were living their humdrum life and things were just going this way when all of a sudden God just comes into it and changes it or brings about their destiny. Somehow we have to get that understanding of time and where we are in it because we keep anticipating the coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, he's giving us a lot of those increments. He's, he's taught that in Matthew 24 and other passages. So we can see those and we must educate ourselves what to look for in terms of those incremental moments where, where Kairos time, God's time, intervenes on that human scale. Um, how do we not get angry? In the political process? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's define what anger is. There's the, there's the very urgent need for righteous indignation, mm-hmm. righteous indignation. 
But rather than casting our anger toward human beings who are entrapped, think think about people who were entrapped under Hitler and who had no opportunity for knowing anything was different in the whole world, any hope existed. Rather than being angry at those people and hating those people, what we must do is recognize the love of Christ for them, manifested, for example, in the thief on the cross and in so many other illustrations. So, so our anger must be properly focused at what is destroying people rather than who is destroying people. Ultimately, it's Satan. Let our, let our anger be cast in that direction. But that's how we fight that. Yeah, because it's been said, you know, Jesus said, be angry, but don't sin. So if your anger is right. unchecked, you could move right. into sin. So it's a dangerous line to manage. There's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so here we go. I mean, we're, everything's gearing up for this next election cycle, and the choices now are starting to come out, and everybody's kind of, you know, positioning themselves. I don't hear in any of this conversation. Now, I just got back from the NRB. It was in Orlando, and we did hear uh, Governor DeSantis speak, um, and he, he did a good job. And then we also heard uh, Senator Josh Hawley speak, who's not running for president. And we're, we're watching all these other people speak. Um, I haven't heard what you're calling for. I haven't heard any of these candidates say, we need to ask God to help us. Well, I haven't either. And I don't anticipate that until we get into a really critical situation. And, and some of them begin to wake up to that. So the question is, who among those candidates would be the most likely to be awakened spiritually if God spoke to them. That's mm. what we need to look for. That's a good point. I, I could ask you who you think, but I won't put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm watching. I this. <laughs> oh, Wallace, you're such an inspiration. Uh, I'm out of time, but are you working on anything? Are you working on a new book or anything? Well, I'm continuing to work on the book on, uh, that deals with time. And what I've just discussed, yeah. and also the nature of the church, the Jesus church, that's what I'm kind of obsessed with right now. How would you describe the Jesus church? The Jesus church is the church that d- does what Jesus did. What did he do? Mm-hmm. I began to think about that a number of years ago. First thing in the morning, he rose and worshiped. He interceded. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He made disciples of those he reached. And he served human need in the name of the Father. That's the Jesus Church. And I applied it in three churches that I pastored and saw them explode with growth, explode with a lot of tension, too, because as, as vision enlarged, not everybody could take that vision. But I saw it happen. We've got to have the Jesus Church. One day I was speaking at a conference in India, and I looked out at the crowd before me in a, in a soccer stadium, and it seemed like the Holy Spirit said, this is the way I walk in the villages of India. This is the way I walk in the villages of India. That's true for any place. The the, the Jesus church in a community is transformative, and that's the way Jesus walks in all of the world. If the church can get that vision, then I think things will change radically. Wonderful. Thank you, friend. Thank you for your time. We value it greatly. Let me say to our viewers a couple things. Please go read Wallace's latest article there in the Christian Post about D-Day. And certainly pick up a copy of his latest book, Who Will Rule the Coming Gods, uh, The Looming Spiritual Crises of Artificial Intelligence. This is a must read. Thank you, friend. God bless you, pal. Keep up the good work. God bless you, buddy, and your audience. 
Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.